Courtney and I are so excited to introduce Katie Donovan. She is the founder of She Is. It is a um, uses sort of the power of sport to create the future of, by, and for strong women in the sporting industry. It is incredible to meet you over the computer here. Um, I sat on a webinar with you a couple weeks ago, and I said to Courtney, I'm like, we've got to talk to this woman. (laughs) She talks about all the things that we are so passionate about, which is women in sports in their role, not only professionally, but how they affect the fan base as well. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Katie, I, I got to ask you kind of right off the bat. You are, um, from what I looked at when I stalked you on LinkedIn, <laughs> you have sort of like a media background, yeah. um, which is really interesting. You you were at Viacom and Spotify and sort of, I kind of expected to see sort of a sports background when you, you know, now have the title as co-founder of She Is. What, how did you get to where you are today? So I have had a very eclectic background. Um pretty intentionally. I, when I started out in actually in advertising um, with Velasis, which was doing at the time, and this is definitely going to date me, we were just coming into mobile couponing and getting those grocery coupons on your phones. Um, and I really enjoyed kind of the aspect of connecting with people, connecting with an audience, giving them a value proposition of some sort um, that that they could really use and kind of take in their life. And what that eventually developed into and kind of what started out my journey of, of really using data and technology and different systems to connect with, with different humans, with different audiences, um, evolved into going and working for a number of different media landscapes, as you said, Viacom and Spotify, um, but actually starting to look at what fan engagement looked like. And so looking through that lens, especially at Spotify, we were able to really see kind of a um, juxtaposition between the music and entertainment world and the sports world. So even though I am not technically from a team or a league, a lot of my background started to touch into the sports world, doing deals with NBA and Nike and NFL and MLB, and really starting to look at how fan engagement can be a really core pillar of what you want to achieve in kind of these total spaces and in what we call, um, what I've kind of fondly come to call the universal languages of our world. You know, everybody loves music. A lot of people love sports or have some sort of connection to sports. Certainly people who love sports really love sports. And there's a real kind of emotional connection that happens in these spaces um, that that translates between kind of the music world, between the media world and the sports world. So it was a very natural transition when I was talking to my co-founder, Brenda Andrus, who at the time was... And the commissioner of the Canadian Women's Sports League, we started talking about like, how do we get more butts in seats? How do we get more eyeballs on screens? How do we engage the fan with women's sports? That was a very natural conversation for me because I had already spent 15 plus years engaging fans, looking at how that fan interaction can be really brought to life. So talk a little bit about She Is and some of the successes and I'm sure some of the challenges you had because women's sports, as we all know, still has a long way to <laughs> a go. A long way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely a long way. Um, really exciting, though, I think, 
when we launched Shias in May of 2018, um, it couldn't have come at a better time. We really, I think we hit it right at a point when, I mean, the U.S. women's hockey team had just won gold for the first time in, in 20 years um, in an incredible game, in a, a really, you know, keep you up at 2.30 in the morning type of game. Um, and, you know, riding off of that, coming into a, a year where we were seeing a lot of momentum growing around the women's sports community, um, around the conversation about women being in positions of power and in positions of leadership roles. Um, and so what we really looked at was an opportunity to say, you know, there's, there's something that's happening here and there's really great work that's being done in each of the individual sports. What would happen if we brought that together? What would happen if we kind of broke down some of the silos and said, hey, how do we support one another? How do we get WNBA sitting in the same room with NWSL and the World Surf League and WWE and um, National Pro Fast Pitch? Like all of these different leagues and leaders and athletes standing together and saying, we believe that women's sports are worth watching. We believe that they're worth supporting. And probably most importantly, we believe that they're worth investing in. This is not a donation. This is not a charity or a cause. This is an investment that makes business sense and that has real growth potential. And so that's what we set out to do. And in the first six months, it was a lot of just kind of testing and learning. We launched a great campaign around the US Open um, called Embrace All, which won a couple of awards. We were really proud of it. Um, we did some work with WWE around their first women-only event, Evolution, that happened in October of that year. And then as we came into 2019, with it being a World Cup year, with there being a lot of really that gained momentum, we started looking at how we could take this bigger and broader. So we launched things like the She Is Challenge, which was the first multi-sport campaign that really capitalized on having all of those voices at the table together, um, garnered 300 million impressions in, in its six month period, like really started to capsulate um, what we wanted to achieve with that, that fan engagement and getting fans to really engage with women's sports. And that very naturally then led into what has now been a shining star <laughs> in the Shia's kind of history, um, which is the Women Worth Watching campaign, where we worked with USTA um, and the incredible creative team at McGarry Bowen to put together a campaign around a data point that said that only 4% of sports media focuses on women's sports and how we, the fans, we, the leaders, we, the athletes can actually be the change major makers for that number. We can affect that. We can make that something better and something different. And so we asked fans to use hashtag women worth watching to share all of their great examples. Who are the women who are inspiring them, either on the court, ice field, whatever, or off it? Because a lot of times there are coaches, there are front office people, there are GMs, as we just saw with the, with the recent announcement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are these incredible women all throughout the sports world who deserve to be watched. Um, and that really took off. The fan base really attached to that. Um, within just the six week period, 
we garnered nearly half a billion impressions. Um, wow. There's 4.2 million social engagements. Um, it has now, it's won a hashtag award. It just recently won a Clio. Um, it, I mean, it's really, it's just taken off in ways that we never could have expected. And probably most importantly, now when you go and you search hashtag women worth watching, what used to be maybe a sporadic here or there something got posted, now there are thousands of stories about these incredible women in sport. And so young girls, women everywhere at all levels can go and look at all of the incredible examples and see it and be it and see what they want their future to look like through these shining examples. Katie, you mentioned, you know, recently in the news, there's been GMs being named that yes. are women. There's coaches. Obviously, we're here in D.C. and the Hershey Bears, the affiliate of the Washington Capitals, yep. hired a, um, a female video coach. And I, I want to pick your brain on so many of these things that, that you've talked about, about women in sports and, and women athletes. But how do you think those just even headlines have helped grow the sport and the perception that it changes or that gives women in sports? It's, I mean, it's so important to have these women in these leadership positions to really have them as role models. Um, and I, I will say it's important for girls as much as it is for boys. Like we need everybody to see women in these roles and to recognize that that is something that is not only achievable, but is completely normal. That is something that doesn't have to have any sort of stigma or anything attached to it, like that is just a normal role for a woman to have. Um, myself, I, I've recently started really diving into more of the technical aspects of like the data analytics and STEM side of sports. That's another area that on its own doesn't have a lot of women mm -hmm. and girl representation in it. And especially in the sports world, there's still a lot of growth to have happen in kind of that that intersection between STEM and sports. So I think what we really need to evangelize, what we really need to, to make sure is happening more often um, is that we're not talking about these roles for the sake of women being in them, but that we're talking about them as a completely normal career path for anybody to achieve, regardless of your gender it should come down to if you're passionate about that, if that's something that really fires you up, that that's an area that you wanna work in, that is accessible to you. So that actually brings up a follow-up question then. I I'm interested to see your opinion on this. Do you like when they say first female or first woman or should should it just be <laughs> this person got hired for the job, right? Or do you, do you still think that label of first women GM of a pro baseball team is valuable? For right now, yes, yeah. because unfortunately we're not there yet where it is totally normalized. And I think bringing that to light and being able to say, hey, this is the first, but it's definitely not gonna be the last mm -hmm. is a really important stake in the ground that needs to be, it needs to be highlighted. I think as we start to go on, as we start to have more of these roles just become the norm, Absolutely. I think once we start to get down that road saying, oh, this is the fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever, then you start to get to a point where it should just be, no, we've normalized that now. She's a coach. Mm -hmm. She's a GM. She is, she's whatever. Right. Like she, you know, that can then become 
just the regular, she's an athlete as well, which that is the other side to, to this question is like right now, and we've all done it here, we're still calling it women's sports. At mm -hmm. some point, it just needs to become sports. These are just athletes across the board, any gender, non-binary as well. And then we can go into that whole conversation <laughs> too. But you know, there these are just athletes. These are just sports. And eventually my hope and my goal, certainly in a lot of the work that, that I have done and plan to continue to do is to normalize these things, is to make sure that gender isn't a blocker that it isn't a qualifier, that it becomes something that is just there and that ultimately it is the person that you are hiring that you get to focus on. One of the, I guess, silver linings in women's sports uh, to change topics just a little bit yeah. was this phenomenon with, um, of course, professional sports. It was a weird year for all across the board. Yeah. Um, but we're learning that numbers were down. Uh, I don't know how the NFL is doing, but certainly the NHL, the MLB uh, saw yeah. numbers way down. And then you see this sort of sub headline. But the WNBA numbers, you know, of course, the Women's Professional Basketball League were up. Yeah. And it's such an interesting phenomenon to think about because, I mean, we're very proud in D.C. We have our championship uh, mystics uh, here. And, of course, that's part of sort of the D.C. culture. But I yeah. think it's still the WNBA is new to a lot of people. Yeah. Obviously, the pandemic had to play a role in that. But how did they get to the point of having such incredible numbers and such a surge in fans and viewership? So I am so, so excited about this and, and what women's sports has accomplished in an otherwise just abysmal year. Like, let's be real. Like <laughs> everybody is so excited in six weeks when 2021 hits and we're all just going to go peace out 2020. <laughs> like, thanks, but no thanks. Um, yeah. Women's sports, like coming into this pandemic, I think, and I heard it firsthand from some of the women that I talked to in the industry, like people were worried. You know, their mm -hmm. women's sports has always had um, to struggle for their resources, to really fight, to show their worth, to show what they're made of, to be able to get the viewers. And while I have definitely seen that changing, I think going into something like this where everything was shutting down and there was a lot of unknown and a lot of risk that kind of lay ahead. And especially as we went into summer where that's the prime season for most professional women's sports. I think there was a lot of hesitation and there was a lot of worry. What I saw and what I almost expected to come out of, of women's sports and out of the leaders who exist in that arena is exactly what happened. Like women are agile, they are innovative, they are nimble. And because they've had to work with less for so many years, they know how to make it work for them. They know how to make those dollars stretch further and go further. They know how to make partnerships really shine and really bring them to light and highlight it in ways that engage fans in really, really productive ways. And maybe most importantly, for better or for worse, women's sports hasn't always been on broadcast television. So it has had to live and its fan base has come to expect it to live in the streaming ecosphere. So when we all went to this streaming only digital environment, women's sports fans are sitting there going, cool, what's changed? <laughs> like, we know exactly where to find you. We know exactly how to do this. Like we've been here for years. 
So it was a natural transition and it was a natural way for them to continue to grab their fan base, which meant that there was only upside potential. When you had CBS signing on with the NWSL, you've now, and we have the numbers now, almost a 500% increase in year-on-year viewership because they were given the right platform, because they were given the broadcast availability, and because CBS did a phenomenal job of really promoting them of putting them front and center on both CBS All Access and on their main channels, of making it consistent viewership. You knew exactly when you could find them. They were consistently on the weekends at 12.31 o'clock, like that's when the viewership started. They were consistently showing the fans where and when you can find that sport. And they benefited from that. And they saw incredible numbers and increases. WNBA experienced some of the similar things, like their partnership with CBS, what they're doing with some of their their digital engagement. All of this really saw this benefit and these increases, and they did it really nimbly and really in a way that, again, I think they benefited from all of the past work that they've been doing, but they were able to to have a really strong performance this year amongst a lot of other down performances. Katie, so you talk about everybody being home during the pandemic and watching the WNBA. One of the things, and again, I'm kind of like you watch all sports, love all sports, men or women's. Um, I found myself watching a lot of tennis and I watched a lot of U.S. Open. And it kind of got me thinking about the differences between right now men's and women's sports, right? The U.S. Open and women's tennis, they play shorter matches. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women's golf have a ladies tea. Um, Women's hockey has no checking. And it kind of got me thinking about, are these adjustments or changes in the women's game hurting or helping the sport? Because they're entirely different games, right? Or do you think that women's sports are doing a good job in changing the game from the men's sport and helping to highlight their talents? Because I'm I'm not sure. I really don't know. Do you want to put checking in ice hockey? Do you want to have the ladies tee off on the same tee? Or I I don't know, I I can't tell if that's hurting or helping to enhance the women's game. It's it's such a good question. And it's one that comes up so often. What I will invite you both, what I will invite all of the listeners and the watchers to do uh, is to treat women's sports as its own product. Mm -hmm. It is its own game. So even though and I'll use WNBA as a perfect example here, even though technically on the surface, that all looks like basketball, right? WNBA, NBA, it's all basketball, right? They've all got an orange ball and they're all dribbling. And they're, you know, all of the things are there. In reality, NBA is a superstar game. And, and we see this, like you see individual players who can make or break whether or not that team is able to win. Whereas WNBA is more reliant on the full team. Yes, you have some superstars, you have some kind of standouts. I mean, I will never dismiss a a Sue Bird meme, like ever, (laughs) she is the GOAT. But like you also, you have a real team aspect. There is a real fundamentals in the strategy that goes into that gameplay. And it's a very different game. And I personally watch it for very different reasons. I get a lot of different experiential factors out of that gameplay than I do out of the NBA game. I think you see similar things in women's hockey, in 
even when you're looking at at soccer, which again, it looks like a very similar sport on its surface level, but I think the fundamentals of what is happening in the women's game actually differentiated a lot. But so would you not say then that, so I'm watching tennis, right? And I, I see the men's game and they're paying, playing a best three out of five. And then I watch yeah. the women's and they're playing best two out of three. Do you not that, do you not think that that gives a different perception of female athletes versus men? I think I that's think my it, worry, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah. then women aren't, they don't have the stamina. They don't have the endurance. They're not strong enough to play in a best three out of five. Right. But that, that assumption is coming from a place because you're putting male and men as the default comparison. They are the default. And so it's whatever compares to them. And for that matter, you're putting cis men as the default. So what you really have to do is look at this and say, men aren't necessarily the default mm. that we need to compare everybody to in order to justify how good or bad or talented or whatever somebody is. What you need to compare it on is the game itself. The game itself, the product itself that they are putting onto the court, the ice, the field, whatever it is, that should be the comparative model. And if somebody can compete in that particular game, then they're elite, then they are great, at, then they are talented, they're great at what they do in any sport. As soon as we start to use one particular type of person as that default, you're automatically gonna run into mm -hmm. issues. It's a lot to take it's in. It's a lot to take in. <laughs> it's a lot but that's, like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And I wanted everybody else to hear that too, because I, I think it is it is hard, right? Especially when and you're receiving these messages too, and you're watching these games and you don't know how people are perceiving that. Right. Um, so I think that that's a really great way to start watching women's sports with through that lens. So we've talked a lot about fan engagement and you've made some references to ways that sponsors and advertisers can get involved. Great. The fans, you got the chicken or the egg thing, right? The yeah. fans are coming. Yeah. Numbers are up. That's all awesome. Let's move over to the corporate side because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, these ladies need to make a living and corporate sponsorships are such a big part of that. Um, what are you seeing? What are the trends? Is the money following with the uptick in, in viewership? It is. And that's the really exciting thing. Um, I will point to, obviously, broadcast deals like CBS and Twitch and, and those types of things that have been happening recently. But then I think you can also look at the secret deal and the million-dollar sponsorship of the PWHPA in women's hockey just recently is a massive step forward. And um, you can look at all of the both monetary and otherwise that AT&T has put into multiple different women's sports, but WNBA, especially, um, you can look at what Budweiser has done for a number of different sports, but NWSL, I think very specifically last year and kind of their sponsorship there, Verizon as well with the NWSL, there is a definite trend and kind of momentum that is picking up with brands recognizing first and foremost that there is absolutely a fan base there. We know that 50% of sports fans are women. We know that 
the split within women's sports is actually pretty 50-50 and sometimes even tends to lean a little bit male. So advertising to fans of women's sports has a lot of monetary benefit for for brands. Um, we know that that when women control 80 plus percent of the purchase power in the United States alone, and you're not properly advertising to them as sports fans, you're not properly connecting with them as an audience base, you're missing out. And, and that's something that brands have really started to grasp onto. Do I think it's perfect? No, <laughs> not yet. Like we still have a long ways to go. Um, I think the, the conversations that are happening, the stake in the ground type of movements that are, are coming forward with some of those examples that I've mentioned are great, but it needs to become more fluent. Like we still, depending on who you talk to, sometimes it'll be five to 7% of sports sponsorships go to women. Sometimes it'll be less than 0.5%. And that just depends on kind of how you slice the data. But like, even that, no matter what, it's less than 10% <laughs> goes to women's sports. And that's an issue. And, you know, that's something that I think as we're really looking at the landscapes of opportunities here, again, I'll go back to what I said kind of earlier on in the conversation. Women's sports is an investment, but it's a long-term investment. And if you look at kind of the history of what has happened in men's sports and on the men's side, you can see that, you know, WNBA, a little over 25 years old now, at that same stage in NBA's history, WNBA is actually was, I mean, prior to 2020, was actually pulling in higher attendance ratings than what the NBA was doing mm -hmm. in its 25th year. Like they, they have more sponsors looking at them in series and bigger sponsors and bigger names looking at them than what the NBA had in its 25th year, 26th year. Like that's what we have to start looking at and saying, this is a long-term, long-term proposition. And if you're looking as a brand and as a leader and, and somebody who's, you know, maybe in charge of sponsorships, if you're looking at women's sports and saying, hey, we need a return on our investment by next year, within these next 12 months, you're missing the trick with women's sports. This is something where you want to get in with this fan base now because they are loyal to a default. They are loyal. Like, I buy Budweiser beer now. I didn't before. <laughs> I buy Budweiser beer now. I, I wear secret deodorant. Like, I, yeah. I bought um, Lear uh, non-alcoholic spirits because they sponsored my local team, New York Sky Blue. Like, I, I spend money on people who spend money on women's sports. Yeah. And that is, I am not an anomaly within the women's sports fan base. Like, that is something that brands, I think, are starting to grasp onto, but we have to make it less of an uphill battle. It has to be something where brands start just recognizing this as, hey, this is our three to five year plan, even our 10 year plan to be in this space, to connect with this fan base. And so therefore we're going to put real significant dollars in, we're going to put this in, not after a huge, long, year-long pitch process, not a, you know, it shouldn't be that difficult. It should be something where women's sports can come to these brands and say, hey, we're ready to go. What do you want to do? Did you want to follow up, Locker? <laughs> yeah, I do. I have one more question for you because I was thinking yeah. about this. 
Okay, there's no doubt about it that you're passionate about women's sports. Kelly and I are passionate about women's sports. You don't have to convince us to get, when we can, our butts in our seats, the yeah. eyeballs on the screens to watch women's sports. But for those that are not necessarily on the fence but maybe don't know about it, what would your, like, 30-second, one-minute elevator pitch be to start consuming women's sports? I mean, first and foremost is just literally turn it on. Yeah. Like, just try it before you start and don't go in with any preconceptions, you know, just try it. Like, and you might have to try it a couple of times because unfortunately women's sports is kind of the startup of the sports world. Like it's right. still gaining its traction. It's still putting all of the pieces into place. And that means that it's going to come with some hiccups. That means that, you know, you might watch one game and it might not be the best angles or like the best broadcast or whatever, or you might not like the analysts that are a part of it. Don't let that one game deter you from all of women's sports. Give it a few same thing as, as when you binge watch Netflix shows, like <laughs> the pilot isn't always the greatest, right? Like it's to get you off the ground. You might need a few to kind of get you into the series and then you're good. Like then you're really hooked to yeah. something. Women's sports is very much the same way. Give it a few games, get to know the athletes as well. These women are phenomenal. They are so incredible. They, in most cases, they are entrepreneurs themselves, unfortunately, because they have to be right now, right. but they're doing incredible things. They are phenomenal role models for your children. They are incredible humans. They, they give back to their communities. They participate in different ways that, that are worth watching and they're worth following. That was very well said. Thank you, Katie. Thanks. Katie, I'm, I'm sure Courtney and I could sit on here all day long and just pick your brain. Um, it's just so bad. And we might have to invite you back just to hit the yes. next round of, of what hopefully 20, 2021 will mean for women's yes. sport. And of course, we've got the Olympics on the horizon, too, which is always yep. such a, a great time to watch female athletes. So thank you so much for, for your time and what you do for the industry as well. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful for what you guys are doing and putting more of a lens onto women's sports and having these conversations. It's important. We need more of it. So thank you guys as well for doing this 